welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 107, a special side quest of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And this is Teacher Ryan. And we got Teacher Ryan with us today because he's the guy that originally introduced us to Obsession, which mm-hmm. has the characters expansion coming out in October. And guys, we're all kinds of juiced up. Now, here's the deal, Adventures. We already reviewed Obsession back in episode 85, so we don't want to belabor the point and dive back into it. Scott, I think we both put it at like number two or three in our overall like top 10 games of all time. It ranks oh, yeah. that high for us. Today, we're going to be talking with Dan about the characters expansion. But before we bring him in, I thought, you know, why don't we just uh, go a little bit of banter about the game, some of the things that we have come to really appreciate it. And uh, Scott, I want you to lead us off. All right. So I suck at this game. I really do. I'm just going to come right <laughs> what out a way to say What a way to start. <laughs> but, but the best part about this game, I am not good at it as far as getting points. I have the best time playing this game. It draws me back time and time and time again, just because the theme of everything that goes on in this game and the idea of inviting guests to your to your mansion, inviting people to parties and what people are going to send to what parties and what rooms. It is so much fun. It is so thematic. It draws me in every single time I play this, and I'm just building this whole story in my head each and every time. Yeah, even though I'm horrible at it, I love this game so much. Scott, do you like playing the short game or the long game? Short game being the 12 round, long being the 16. Yes. Do you have a preference? Yes. (laughs) Good answer. Uh, No. If I'm playing with people I know, I love playing the long game. That's the Uh important thing. If I'm playing with people I don't know, I don't mind playing the short game because I'm still getting that short game in there. It's not going to take as long, and you still get that fun aspect of it. But it's everything is much more crucial. So in my mind, I have a chance of someone making a mistake and me doing a little bit better. So, But that's just me. <laughs> it's Brian for him. <laughs> Brian, what's your favorite part about Obsession? When, you taught this to us, and you told us, guys, you're going to love this game. I love it. I want to show you guys how to play. And you taught us. What draws you to it? Why were you, why were you so excited about getting this one in front of us? Just Obsession is one of those games that nobody really thinks about. This was back in uh, Origins of two years ago. Obsession is one of those games that a lot of people talk about, but there wasn't that many copies out. And I just figured it would be a game that you guys would enjoy. It's definitely a game that I enjoyed. It It took me by surprise. To me, it's something like Rococo, where it's like, what is that theme? That theme is dressmaking? <laughs> How is that a good game? And it ends up being my number one favorite. But like this one is about... Victorian England and Pride and Prejudice. And it's like, I want to try this because it sounds intriguing. I haven't heard of a game like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I played it and I ended up absolutely enjoying almost every aspect of the game. Knowing that that kind of game like intrigued me and the fact that I did show you guys how to play. Well, I, I, I taught Patrick how to play Rococo. And I understood that at one point in time, Scott told me that he enjoyed Victorian England or Downton Abbey at some point in time, just in passing. And I was like, you know what? I have a game just for you both. I figured it would be more for Scott because of the theme and mm-hmm. it ended up being that way. But like the theme really got me uh, just like Scott was saying, probably not as much as him. He's, he's really into this theme, <laughs> but just the fact that like, this is a game that is, it's not really difficult. I mean, it may be up there in, in high difficulty as far as like the rankings are concerned, but like when you actually get down to playing it, it just draws you in. Yeah. Like everything just in your mind just comes together really, really well. And Believe it or not, I think I enjoy teaching it more than playing it because like the enjoyment of other people in this game is what makes me like the happiest and just being able to put this game out there, even though it wasn't before, but that's changed, is is just something that really, really excites me. And to answer your next question, by the way, I prefer the long game. You know why? Because that means we're playing it longer. Good call. Good call. Ah. I've always liked the long game because you get that uh, that that portion where you get the the holiday, the reputation holiday, and that's soon soon followed by the purchasing, the the builder's holiday. And yep. I like that they're right in the middle of the game, and you can 
play your first half really shooting to like, mm, you know what? If I don't win a fair child early, that's okay. I can I can mm-hmm. flip my uh, gazebo. I can get a flower room, flip that, and then if I can just hammer home an English garden or a, a state room, something big on that reputation holiday, maybe I can take it home from there. Uh, it, it draws me in. I really like the long game. You also get more benefits. Uh, I don't want to say more benefits out of things like the the servants hall, for example, or, or some of the, we'll say the take that ladies that are going to gossip because in the short game, they're more profound because there's less time for your opponent to make up for it. But in the long game, sometimes you draw the, the like the one guest, she minus two is your opponent's reputation, but you take a hit for one man to be able to hit that two, three times in a game. That's a strategy, and I like that the long game lets you plan around that. So for me, mm-hmm. it's long game all day, every day. I've been doing it with uh, with the arena mode. Um, <laughs> the current season, I'm ranked number one. And right now on VGA, I, I still am holding the ranking number one. Just going to toot my nice uh, white there lace gloves go. over here. There's, yeah, yeah. there's the ego trip. My point is, I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know what it is. I, I, I just can't stop playing this game, and uh, I think – Naturally, with with any game, if somebody's played it, you know, hundreds of times, and you play against someone who's on, you know, their their dozenth time or, or their fifteenth game, there's a natural advantage. I, I think it's it's more that I don't have a life outside of playing this game. <laughs> I mean, t- I mean, to be fair, like you're playing the namesake of the game, so <laughs> touche. And you know what? I, I tell you what, on the table, the art, the components, this game has a classy feel that I think sucks people in for being a, a kind of. We'll say it's a washed palette. It's not super vibrant. It's got a classy look to it, a classic Euro, but uh, it feels like you're playing something proper, something mm, something intelligent. I like that about it too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, there, there's not much as far as like artwork is concerned, but what artwork there is that really like adds to the theme as well. Like just this game was built around the idea of theme. I have a, a no doubt about that. I'm pretty sure that when we get Dan on here, we can like uh, expound on that. Well, you know, you said, it. let's get Dan on here. That's what we're here for today. That's what this side quest is all about. Let's do a fade in and take it to Dan. I'm excited. All right, adventurers. So, yes, it is true. Now we got the guy behind the guy behind the guy. We have Dan with us talking to us all about obsession. On the last episode, we went through the top 100 like we always do, you know, uh, What's his name again? Clyde? No, no. uh, You named him Carl. The trumpeter. That's Carl. I knew it was a C. Carl came out, played his little trumpet, and we went through the top 100, and Obsession broke through. So that's a great thing to see that, because we've loved the game for a while. Now we're not just broke through. It's climbing. It's up in the 80s now, I think. I know. I know. But it's just one of those things that more people are getting out there and loving this game here. So without further ado, Dan, thank you so much for being with us here. How does it feel to be up in the top 100 in BGG now? (laughs) Well, it's uh, my pleasure to be here, and it's otherworldly. My whole goal was to make probably 50 copies of a boutique game. Mm -hmm. And so it got a little past that, and... Uh, the credit is to the hobbyists who like the theme. I thought the theme would be so out of the wheelhouse of our hobby, which is mythology and Cthulhu and, <laughs> you know, and Dungeon and Dragons and space and post-apocalyptic. And yep. this was just to try to design something that would appeal to sort of a neglected demographic in our hobby. And sure. so I'm, I'm thrilled. I know whenever it, it first came out, I, <laughs> I am not one to to like these kind of things here, but my wife got me hooked on Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Really got into it, and then I saw this coming out, and I read a little bit more about it, and I'm like, wait, wait, this looks pretty awesome. I got to give this thing a try. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, like you said, it's not Cthulhu, it's not space, it's not fantasy, but you just did something that really tapped in there and really got under the skin of a lot of hobbyists. What was, like, you said you wanted to make a boutique game, but what was it that made you think of it? Like, what what was the impetus behind it? Well, the, uh, you know, I, I grew up playing Dungeons & Dragons, playing those war games where you would pray your mother didn't sweep it off the table because you were you were only in day 19 of simulating something going on in Europe in World War II. And when I got married and had kids, you know, I had 
you know, just automatically you got to leave that behind. Who's got time? I know some people make the time, but I had a pretty demanding job and then three kids in succession. And and so I left that all behind. And I had a friend who was trying to tell me about the modern tabletop board game. And I just, I didn't have the paradigm to understand that there was something that might only take two and a half hours in an evening. So I kept blowing them off. And finally, to shut them up, I said, just, okay, give it, Christmas is coming. Give me a couple titles. So he gave me Seven Wonders and Dominion. Okay. So I okay. Bought, bought them, threw them under the tree. And it was like opening up one of those treasure chests that we that we had back in Dungeons and Dragons days where it glowed because once we started playing those games, we wore them out for two weeks of, of nice. Christmas vacation. And my kids were like 10, 12, and 14. And I was blown away by the fact as a dad that's always telling your kid, go outside and play, put down your phone. You don't bring a phone to the table. They would fight for a spot at the table. And so <laughs> that to me was was an added bit of magic to, to, to our hobby, to board gaming. It brought the family around a table, looking at each other in the eye, laughing, using your imagination, your brain power, no technology, no kids babysitting their minds rather than, you know, doing something creative. I did what you did. I, I did what teacher Ryan's got behind him. You know, see how oh, fast the I big can, shelf of games. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. How fast can I sprint to a hundred games? You know, is it? Oh, that looks good. That looks good. That looks good. And um, and I'm evangelizing my family at this time and everything, and everybody's getting on board. So there's there's a lot of board game going. But I found something that emerged, which is anything that was in that core of what our hobby grew up with, which was the Dungeons, the Dragons, and so on. The, the space. My wife didn't want anything to do with it. She, If you think about it, the first two games was a really good bit of advice because neither of those are sort of hardcore in the mythology world, if you will, or in, in a mad. And so when I started creeping into my roots, I had Terra Mystica on the table and I'm trying to grab my wife and drag her over and say, look at this, look how cool this is. And she sees a swarmling and she says, no, I, I don't want to play that. Uh, let's go watch Downton Abbey. <laughs> and so the light bulb went on. Scott, you just mentioned Downton down yeah. Abbey. And I have always loved Victorian literature and everything in that British aristocratic era. So light bulb went off and it wasn't to make a game. It, it was, oh, I just did, I haven't ordered the right game. Okay. So I started to find look, the right one. I have to find the right game. So I'm starting to look and I'm look. And I found that most of those games were treated very lightly, though. The weight on them was 1.4. There was like, he's dating her. And and, it, and I said, no, no, that's not what I like in games. So I eventually said, no one's really done a heavier game with this theme. To me, it was a Trojan horse. I was going to put the British aristocratic period, Jane Austen, Downton Abbey, Anthony Trollope, Dickens, put that around the outside of the horse and I would put crunchy stuff inside for the mechanics. <laughs> you know, it was like, make sure you keep the legacy gamer happy if you're trying to recruit a gamer that's new to the hobby based on a theme. So it was, it was almost an idea that was a little bit nuts because the more complex a game got, more casual gamers push it away. You know, you bring feudum out and slap it on the table. You're not going to find many people that are going to want to play that that aren't like us, you know, that are really hardcore, hardcore gamers. So right. that, that was the roots of it. And again, it was just an idea to because I didn't know anything at all about making a game. I didn't know anything about graphic design. I didn't know anything about ideas, concepts in our hobby, like worker placement is this. Card drafting is this. It was, oh, I like that. That stinks. I'll do that. And I would just plagiarize. The original version of Obsession was supposed to be a plagiarized version of Castles of Mad King Ludwig, my favorite game. Nice. We're going to build. Just like a reskin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had a, a lot of different stuff in it. I certainly would have tipped my hat to Ted Alspach, but the idea was to actually build the manor house like you building a castle in Mad King Ludwig. 
that was way over my pay grade to get those little doors to line up. And, and it wasn't interesting because every room was pretty much square. <laughs> right. And so I left that behind. But anyway, I started out pretty ignorant and just muddled along for a few years. And eventually, out of that muddling, we get the game Obsession. And you know what? It, it's a 2018 release, correct? Yeah. Okay. So we hear rumblings of it. There's this, oh, yeah, there's this game Obsession. It's hard to get or it's hard to find it. You don't see it being played much. But those rumblings start to grow and they start to grow. And eventually, it's, oh, I've played it too. I've played it too. Oh, have you tried Obsession? Suddenly. So, like it... Maybe a good way to put it. Sometimes a game comes out and it just smacks the hobby right upside the head and says, this is the thing. Like we've seen Heat and Ark Nova have these meteoric rises. Obsession was like a, a nice slow burn, but it was unstoppable. It was inevitable and just recently cracked that top 100. That's got to be one heck of a feeling. And I hope you're rubbing that into all of the doubters, the naysayers, the family, the people that didn't want to play it with you. What's that like to be like, yeah, I, I did it. I did. I got to get, not that that was necessarily the goal, but what a, what an affirmation of skill in development. Well, the, you know, when you're, so I'm a company of one person and I turn out the lights and I empty the garbage and design the game and do whatever. But when you are disadvantaged in that way, going up against larger publishers. It's this, it's BGG, and it's that rating that different that that basically makes a one-person company possible because there is a grassroots grading system. And all credit to Board Game Geek. You know, I when it comes around to the annual holiday drive, I, I give those guys dollars because they have created the ability for the gamers themselves to decide what's what. I mean, that's a very clever algorithm. I think it's probably almost too favorable to a game like Obsession because the higher rating for a smaller boutique or a smaller niche audience really has an impact on that algorithm. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it drives it up. And you'll notice that my rating has been coming down from 8.4 and it's about to turn into an 8.1 because when I put it on Board Game Arena, suddenly the fanboys and fangirls who love the theme were try not trying the game now. It was people who you know, had heard the rumble and they like to play Ark Nova. And they go on there and they play a game about Victorian England and they come back and make it a two. Because, you know, the one thing about Obsession is that it's an acquired taste. Sometimes your first play isn't always, always your best play because there's a lot of randomness in the game. And the randomness can slap you upside the head. And it if it can. does that, I mean, I don't know if you heard the shut up and sit down review. I haven't heard theirs, but I, I, you know what? I was listening to Shut Up and Sit Down. They listened to the level up review of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're egotistical. We listen to ourselves, and that's pretty much <laughs> Yeah. I only mentioned that because they had two opposite reactions to their first play one had everything go right, one had everything go wrong. And it literally was a cage match about whether the game should be burned and torched or whether it should <laughs> deserved its rating. So it's an acquired taste, I think, until you learn that it's a tactical game and not a strategic game. You have to, when you get that hand and you look at it and it's got three American heiresses in, you better chuck your reputation out the window and milk them for every buck that they're worth <laughs> and plan on getting rid of them with the French garden at the end. Something Boy, like that's that, a fun you know? game. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, to be in the top 100 basically allowed me to retire early last year after 33 years with Medtronic in artificial hearts and artificial lungs, which is a very stressful all day in the OR type of career to where I now get to sit in my office and play games and call that research and development and, <laughs> and design and do this sort of fun stuff. That's all credited to that climb. That you right. put your finger on. Jealousy is taking yeah. over. Cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, if I can add on to it too, like not only is the credit, I think, from the fact that like you keep on working on the game, but I think it's also the fact that you are very involved on the Board Game Geek forums. I, I see that ever since the game was released in 2018, I even saw an old post from 1,500 something posts ago in 2018, where someone asked a question about how's the solo in it. And you responded to that. And that was when the game was released. And that was five years ago. 
But on top of that, I see that you have been very, very active on those forums. You've been answering all sorts of questions. In fact, about three years ago, I posted a question and you managed to answer it within like two hours, I'd say. But not only that, you're still in it. There was a, a question raised about a week ago, and I see you were the first one to respond to that one. So like, I want to say that the game is wonderful. That's without a doubt. And I'm glad that more, pe- more and more people are more interested in it. But I feel like I want to just give you a big shout out too. Like you're uh, one of the main reasons, not just because of the design of the game, but how active you are in the community. And I put you as one of those designers that like I wish other designers would be. Most of them are focused on the next thing, you know, the next thing. You have this one game and just for, for a good five years, you've been just actively responding to people and like a lot of people respect that. There's Facebook groups that I'm on where people talk about obsession. There's always some kind of a mention of, yeah, Dan's very active. He's very wonderful. He's answering all these questions. He's making the game easier to understand if I don't understand it. But I really want to put forth to people that like you are one of those kind of designers that like are really, really love their their design. And I, I'm sure you want the best from the game for the people. And so like I have to really commend you for that one. Um, well, and I, I think that, that also that also helps. I, I really want to say that that's really helping crack the top 100 too because like people are recognizing that. I, I appreciate that. And I think that comes from the fact that this is, people will call it a hobby, but it's really uh, people are collectors. It's, they're, they're not so much hobbyists and that if a game is important to you, it's got to be perfect. I have that same attitude. I mean, if you, if I was on the if you could see on the screen, I've, I've got the room full of games and every game that I like, I trick it out. I got the Castles of Mag King Ludwig Kickstarter edition. That's colossal. The thing oh, you, need, <laughs> you need to play it on a pool table just to, to get the thing out there. But so often publishers are adversarial with people who have what they view as a sort of a trivial complaint. And my attitude is that if it is a complaint, these people have put me on the map to allow me to go to a different career that is just fun as hell. If they've got a complaint, it has to be solved. You know, I have a 100% money back guarantee if anybody wants to turn the game at any time, no matter how long they own it. Because one thing I know, first of all, is that I don't want anybody to have the game and they don't like it and have, have bitterness about that. But number two, do you know how many people have taken me up on that after about 25, 28,000 games sold of oh, base geez. game? Has anybody? One. One. <laughs> and, and they tried to take it back. And it was a gentleman who was part of the first Kickstarter. But when he got the cards, he has as an extreme vision impairment. And he couldn't read the cards. He couldn't okay. read the, the cursive script on the gentry cards. Mm. And he was very frustrated. And, I, and he emailed me and he complained about it. And I said, I'll make you a local set of cards with bigger font if you want. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm sour on the game now. You know, I just wanted you to know. I said, well, you know, full credit. And so I gave him full credit. And then I said, just donate the game to a library or something or give it to a friend or, or whatever. But nice. if publishers took that, and Jamie Stegmeier does that a little bit, he, he goes a long way, but you know, I'll get the dreaded, the corner of the boxes crushed. Email. Oh yeah, that's one. That's you know, one I, s- I always chuckle. So what? What that's, Dan's that's getting at? <laughs> we see this on on Facebook. Like if you're in board game groups on Facebook, you've seen the post where somebody puts a picture up and the corner's got. Now it's there's one thing when you get a game and there's a sticker on it and the corners like the seams are all torn and what? Yeah, okay, I get it. But when you get your game in from Amazon and there's that little like tiny crimping in one of the corners, like oh, it got a little smudge on it. People will post and they'll be like, what do I do? Do I demand a full refund? And I'm like, come on, come <laughs> on. You get that email. How do you address that? I fix it one way or another. It's tough because, and I, and I offer, I'll tell them, you know, I'll give you credit if, if you want it or whatever, but it's tough because we don't get that as a spare part. So when you publish a game, everything that goes in the box, you get 1% of your print run which is way more than you'll ever use. I use Panda. They're very good. I have a very low error rate, but you don't get boxes. So boxes are an issue. Mm. But 
Mm-mm-mm. You know, I come by a lot of boxes and, and I do a lot of PPCs, which is a pre-production print copy. I get M- MPCs okay. when they after they produce it. I'll tell you one thing. I went into Amazon for two months and it was somewhere between the seventh and eighth ring of hell and Dante's Inferno <laughs> dealing with Amazon <laughs> because you, you have no control over how they, well, first of all, there's no human beings to deal with, but you have no control how they ship things. Right. The only way mm-hmm. that you can protect a product that needs protecting is you have to prepackage shipping on the outside and that's the product that they're going to go ahead and then rebox. So in other words, you would take like I'm looking at distilled behind teacher Ryan there. You would have to build a box around that that's going to protect it. And then that's the SKU that they're going to ship. That's the only way you can do it and that is inordinately expensive. So it's like, like a box, to, box in a box. Box in a box puts me out of business. So I went to Quartermaster Logistics after a disastrous two-month run with complaints out of Amazon. I mean, there was some obsession just shipped in the thin sort of Tyvek bag. You know, that, that's a, that's an eight-pound game. That thing is going to have sure, sure to have the crushed corners. So I went to Quartermaster Logistics, who's the one that most popularly uses the double cushioning way of shipping Kickstarter fulfillment and puts a card in there. And it, it's not it's not cheap, but I don't get crushed corners, but very rarely, and I can usually navigate that problem. Sometimes if I don't have a box, I'll just bribe them and say, well, you, you don't have the Wessex expansion. If I give you that, can you can you sort of push the corners uh, up? Sneaky, they, go, they go, okay. <laughs> but there's always a way to get there. Guys, I don't want to interrupt, but uh, I'd like to point out, because I'm sure he's listening, we have pointed, uh, pointed. Uh, you've heard the, of Hungry Gamer, Will Brown. He does a lot of YouTube videos and whatnot. Mm-hmm. We're very glad to have taught him Obsession this past week, and I just beat him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and obs- as we're talking, we got our, our notification in. Now, we're having a blast with that, but we passed uh, passed along our love of the game to Will, and hopefully he'll be able to share some of his. Dan, we want to talk about the upcoming characters expansion. Now, I'm in the, the Obsession group on Facebook, which, if you're listening, you're a fan of Obsession. There is a Facebook group. They just passed 1,000 members. Members are active. One of them even has the competition going for two weeks. You can enter a competition simply by posting a picture of your completed game. can be on BGA, can be uh, on the table, whatever, but you can enter up to one time a day so you can get 14 entries. This this member made shadow boxes, right, with the meeples of like oh, wow. the, 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 but, the under butler and, and cards in the back. They're, they're just – they're beautiful. They're very well done classy that's the word i'm looking for anywho we got the characters expansion coming up you've been sharing some stuff but that's what we have you on for that's what i want to how about scott you and you and ryan how about you guys grill dan a little bit we want to find out more about this characters expansion hey scott do you want to do a good cop bad cop all right (laughs) (laughs) wait wait, wait, you can do good constable bad constable oh yeah (laughs) so dan this yep. new expansion that you have going on, the characters expansion. So, well, let's talk about this first. First, you had the Wessex expansion. Then you had upstairs, downstairs, and you had all sorts of promos for that. And you also had the Useful Boy. So those expansions to this point have been done really, really well. Everyone in the community is loving it. I especially love the Useful Boy, <laughs> to be quite honest. I, <laughs> I love the name. Sounds, fact. That sounds dirty. <laughs> useful box there, you, teacher yes. Ryan. Useful box. <laughs> <laughs> However, for this character's expansion, what was the inspiration behind it? Did you feel like it was needed? Uh, Did you feel like things that you added to it were necessary? What made you want to do specifically a character expansion? To answer that, I think I have to go back to the genesis of the second edition and Upstairs, Downstairs. So part of my clownish amateurism in my first Kickstarter was that I hadn't done playtesting nearly enough. And quite honestly, I don't even think thorough playtesting is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll see so many well-established games. It could be Concordia. It could be Viticulture that can be desperately broken. And they come out with things. And those are from major publishers and good games. And it's just because the community at large, particularly Patrick, as you just waved, which is Board Game Arena, you, you want to play test something, go to Board Game Arena. Oh, Those yeah. people are, are playing for keeps. But I didn't even meet a minimum standard for playtesting. So my second edition was really the playtested version of Obsession because the first edition had 
a lot of, it had the good core mechanics, the dance between servants, reputation, cards, and tiles. That was the, right. the vision. But it had a lot of housekeeping that was a pain in the butt, and it had some unbalanced decks. I had victory point cards that went up to eight Wow! in the first edition. That was significant. So the second edition took the playtesting of the community, and it was only 1,800 games that I produced in the first edition. And they communicated to me that their fixes were needed. And so that led to Upstairs Downstairs along with the redesign. What does Upstairs Downstairs do? It gives you some ability thematically to mitigate randomness. Your head housemate allows you to screen cards. That's always going to help. Your useful man, it's very useful. He can do all sorts of things, but he'll help you use a tile you normally couldn't use when you're desperate to use it. He'll help you get that little bit of extra money out of the, the village fair and so on. And the cook, of course, allows you to get those more prestigious guests to come to your house. Don't ever let anybody draft a useful man who's got family Howard, by the way. That's just, that's a really, really overpowered combo. But that was my first attempt at trying to listen to the people who, even though they liked what they saw in the core mechanics, they just couldn't get past the random card draws, the random builder's market, and the random courtship that was to deal with that. Characters expansion is, I think, going to be my last expansion for Obsession, and oh, it okay. is going to do specific things that still remain as barriers for some people to play the game. And what it does is it it does several things. First of all, it increases player interaction. It's a little bit multiplayer solitary. You're looking down when you're playing Obsession. You'll get a lot of people that thematically will interact with people at the table. You've got the war guy with no legs who needs two helpers playing tennis. What the heck's going on? You know, you you talk about some of the stories that emerge but there's not a lot of interaction mechanically. So okay. now there's going to be an extension of the supply board. It's going to be on the right-hand side. So on the left-hand side, you've got the reserve. On the right-hand side, you're going to have three actual worker placement spots. So the worker placement spots are going to be a first for obsession. People call it worker placement now. But it's not because those spaces aren't competitive. It's more of a way to do action selection on your own player board. Right. This little sideboard that's going to push up and match the landscape of the, su of the supply board, that, that sideboard will have three characters that you've already met, which is a constable. If you're on the Facebook group, and mm -hmm. I know, Patrick, that you are, there's a constable. There's a reverend, and there's a dowager marchioness. And the box cover is the – so for those who maybe are interested, the Marchioness and Marquess are above an earl and just below a duke. They're very high up in the pecking order of the aristocratic lineage of which king and queen and their prince and princesses are up at the top. But we're not talking about those people. So right <laughs> below them is the duke. We've got, I think, two dukes in the game. And, uh, and the Marchioness is right up there. So she's very wealthy and she's constructed a, a, a Scottish castle outside of the city of Derby. And staying at that castle are a variety of eccentric characters that can do a number of things to mitigate randomness. Now, I don't want to go roll it out in a monologue. So let me stop there and uh, just say that's the main feature of the game is true worker placement spots that are going to be out in that central supply area. Now, Dan, you've given us some of the little background and everything that's going to be coming up with the characters, but yeah, there's the, uh, the carriage. It says, don't touch the carriage. Don't look at the carriage. I got to know what's the carriage do. You, you will eventually touch the carriage. You're going <laughs> to, so you're, gonna, you're guaranteed to touch <laughs> that's me just putting on my aristocratic airs um, so the the three workers placement spots that I alluded to the carriage belongs to that dowager marchioness so mm -hmm. I originally thought to actually make like a grand lady in the way that you know a meeple would look right. but I decided that I didn't want the dowager herself to be the centerpiece 
because I could I could expand the guests that she has staying at her very large country estate at her manor house. And I could use those guests for a whole wide variety of specific targeted mitigations. So Patrick could be playing a game and one of the death knells to a competitive game is when you can't get into that prestige deck. That's mm-hmm. that's a huge step. That is priority number one. Anytime I teach it, I say, look, first thing you got to do, you know, when you're prioritizing, you have to draw prestige guests and you really want the ones that draw you more to the extent mm-hmm. that I, yeah. I even like, okay, I've, I've played, I think I'm up to about 1200 games on BGA now and <laughs> somewhere around two, 300 games, I decided there, man, it'd be nice. You know how you can like... You can pay two reputation for a hundred bucks. You can pay three reputation to refresh a worker. I almost feel like there should be an option in there. Like you can pay four reputation to draw prestige. Yes, I think there's got to be some way to give players a level field to be able to snag a prestige guess when they're. I'm I'm stealing your thunder here. Go ahead. You're saying so. One of the death knells is if you don't start milking the prestige deck. Well, so I I actually contemplated your idea. So that's a good idea. The problem with the idea, the reason I didn't do that is it's it's actually unthematic because you would not access a prestige guest with a decline of reputation. Everything to me had to be mechanically linked to the theme. So when you when you got to go borrow money. Yeah, you're going to take a hit. When you mm-hmm. got to go borrow a servant, yeah, you got to take a hit or, or mm-hmm. scramble for sense. service. When you're going to go drive to London to try to find somebody who's skilled enough to build a music room that you're trying to build, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, rolling in the mud with the professions. That's not what mm-hmm. aristocrats do. So the Dowager Marchioness's castle full of characters, the one class of character that's new is called an exile. And these are all foreigners from the continent. You know, when you think about the powers back then, believe it or not, Sweden was a power. You got Austria-Hungarian Empire. Italy was a power. I don't have anybody from Italy, but Prussia was a power. And so there's these four characters that basically gotten in bad standing with those powers. And they've done what anybody who fears for their life would do is get on that island over there. (laughs) And this Dowager Marchioness has got a reputation of little Statue of Liberty reputation. Send me your your troubled, send me your pursuits, send me your people on your blacklist. And and they're staying at her country estate, which it wasn't all that unusual. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Bleak House or read the book Bleak House, but that's a, a Victorian novel. And there's people staying at people's houses just permanently, and they're not even related. They just sort of like show up and never leave. And <laughs> this is a little bit of that. And so those four exiles, three of them allow you to dip into that prestige deck with a screen. So what you would do in to get to a second piece of something that I wanted to improve the passing turn is sometimes feels like a downer. Now, hiring on a pass has really rescued the passing turn. If you're not mm-hmm. playing with upstairs, downstairs, and you're passing, you're literally taking one-twelfth of the game in the short game and throwing it out the window. And it feels, yeah, I'm getting my, my servants and my people back, but, you know, look what he just did. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make the passing turn its own adventure, its own to make it more productive. And so the way you go to the Dowager Marchioness and get that carriage, which brings one of those exiles to you and permanently goes in your deck, is that you do it on a passing turn. And I won't go into depth on this because it's got a little complexity to it, but Mm -hmm. all the characters on the sideboard are accessed during the passing turn. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do other passing turn things. But the main reason for the exiles is to dip into that prestige deck. There's also one prestige rating two exile that gives you three reputation. And that's for that rare occurrence when no purple tiles come out and you're just stuck. You're just stuck at like one or two and all your guests are like money guests (laughs) and and invite guests. And you, you literally, you're like, ah, I need a special action where I can trade rep. No, I can't do that. So this second level guest allows you to push up to that third level and start to get into your prestige guest. Long story short, the dowager houses people that get you into that 
that prestige deck. And then there's a variant which is really proven to be almost an automatic variant where I take four guests from the promotional cards that come in the yep. upstairs downstairs expansion and they become eccentric characters or staying there as well. And that is to provide you some other special actions. I put the architect there because who can play with the architect? If anybody gets the architect that gives you a free tile from the, the market, everybody screams at the table because it's a broken card. Well, that's what yep. promos are, but now he's what better. There's a there's like a Frank Lloyd Wright of England staying over. Sorry, my cat just knocked over a box. <laughs> it was actually Duchess Lilo just knocked over the box. I was about but, to say that's that's the that, uh, nine, nine point promo card right there. Yeah, right. Um, so they got an eccentric architect staying there. Then you've got the Feifrau von Lugensdorf, I think is her name. Bless She's you. the one with three favors over. That's way overpowered. Everybody takes her out. She's staying there. You've got Fitzwilliam, who's the Darcy character, who basically everybody hates and guests leave. He's over there. And then you got the really strange guy who likes guests with negative reputation, but comes with 600 pounds, Alistair Lease. So the point is, once it's called the Full House variant, that castle, if you will, of the Dowager is full of eight characters that can allow you to do all kinds of situational things. Nice. So yeah, that was a lot on the castle, but you also talked about the constable and uh, what was the other thing that you were talking about? The Reverend? The Reverend. Yeah. yeah what are so, those are about? So the castle is the, is the big meal. And when you have your passing turn, if you go to the castle, that's all you can do because that is, I call the sideboard like an emergency room. And if you're going to the castle, you're going for the surgeon who's going to take the knife out of your back or whatever. It's a serious situation. <laughs> the constable wow. and the reverend are a little bit more specific and simpler in their construct. The constable allows you to dismiss all negative guests out of your hand. So oh, wow. Every, every, mm-hmm. Well, there's a caveat, but everybody who's played Obsession any number of times has got the red hand of death when you just have all these negative guests that get in your hand. And really, the only thing that can save you is the French garden in order to, on the backside, which is a really mm-hmm. hard thing to get to. And so the constable allows you to get rid of all negative guests who are British. Can't get rid of your American heiresses. He doesn't have any jurisdiction over the American heiresses. Okay, when, the constable, when the constable comes to your estate, and the way the way that you your worker placement is always a footman. So you send a footman with a carriage, you send a footman to the dowager with a message, but the footman is who's going back and forth to the sideboard. You lose that footman for a little bit of time because he's off doing something. So now footmen are going to get more valuable. But when the constable comes, you're able to dismiss all your negative guests at the conclusion of his visit. But any negative guests that you have attending the activity that he's there for, he wipes out their negative impact. So if you were to play that Elizabeth Jones, who has negative two reputation, but you get a prestige guest invite, mm-hmm. no negative reputation. Why? Because all favors happen after the activity, sometime in the future. When people start to find out, there's no texting on what's going on in your state. The grapevine's got to do its job and the servants are the grapevine. So there's something that's going to follow. But what's going to come out of that is that, wow, you, the constable rousted out the person that was at your activity. So you're not going to get any black mark because you've gone ahead and taken care of your problem. <laughs> but more importantly, the constable will allow you to go through and get rid of everybody from your hand, from your deck, from the activity, except the American heiresses. So the American heiresses, if you take those on, You've got to get rid of them the conventional way with the lady of the house, most likely. But there's only about five American heiresses. And really, the red hand of death usually is involved with those other nine or ten categories of negative guests. Yeah, so you know the American heiresses, there's there's a strategy that you can play with them. And you can, you can really – you can buy some really expensive things that other players can't. And you can be mm-hmm. an advantage from having them. And then there's some like – this one's minus 200 bucks and it's only a plus two on your reputation and she's minus two points. Some of them are just like, oh, this one just draws me a guest, loses me $100 and he's a minus point. Oh man, that's where some of the randomness comes whenever you're getting your invites early on in the game. And you know what? It happens. There's ways to mitigate it, but red hand of death 
<laughs> we, we have been there. Everybody's been there. So the constable would be your friend. And now that's a competitive space because we're dealing with true worker placement. And so you mostly are going to want to dismiss late in the game. Typically. So everybody who's been pulling guests, which are announced to everybody, so you know who's arrowing for the constable, uh, has got to time their move over to the sideboard so they don't get shut out. And that can be very important. So again, that's that player interaction. You've got to know some of the things that are going on with uh, the people that you're playing with. The Reverend, which you asked about, he deals with the issue of the bad objective cards. So if you get three groups that you've just not making any progress on, you almost have no chance of ever making those groups. You know, that'll lose you the game. You know, if you end up getting getting three points for your three service tiles and missing out on three groups. And so what the Reverend does, because the way that the objectives are described is that they're your personal private passions, if you will, your, your vocation, your interests. And so the Reverend becomes your counselor. They can come to your estate. And what happens is I've created a new universal objective card deck that's almost 50 objectives. You get rid of the other two decks, which was the stupidest thing I ever did in the world. They have two objective card decks. And this one will serve any game with no recycling. And in fact, all your objectives are discarded face up to the sideboard so that people can shop every turn and see if there's anything better that they want to swap which is what the Reverend will allow you to do, is swap an objective for something that's on the sideboard. And that sideboard gets seeded with four objectives face up randomly from the deck on turn one. So as you evaluate your objectives, you will be evaluating the public objectives that you can use the Reverend to come to your estate and you can swap. I mentioned, what what are we mitigating? That mitigates really bad objectives. That mitigates bad red hand of death guests that mitigates not being able to dip into the objective card deck and a couple of other small things like you can get some money over at the dowager and you can get a tile over at the dowager and so that's the strategy of that sideboard is you have to compete for those spaces on a pass so it's not anytime you want you send a footman over there it's when you pass you can go to those worker placement spots. Mm-hmm. If you're using that dowager and that reverend, you can still do your hire of servants, your 200 bucks, your refresh, your builder's market. So now the past turn can get a whole lot done. Uh, if you're going to that dowager, again, you're going to the chief of surgery, you're going to get surgery, you're, you're going there for a purpose. And that's usually to get into the deck. And I find myself, if I get a bad main gazebo pull early and I don't get that first courtship, my first turn, I'm skipping the hire and I'm going to the Dowager and I'm getting one of those screened prestige guest invites. Hmm. There's, Almost sounds there's, like Dan's pretty good at this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, Dan, Dan, seriously. You've whetted our appetite. You've talked about everything it. that's going to be coming out here. Huh? He moistened our appetite. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Jeez. Uh, anyway, Dan. <laughs> How can one get a hold of this? Can we can we just send you a check for it, or uh, is it going to be just a release? How can someone get a hold of the character's expansion for Obsession? Well, it's going to be a Kickstarter, and okay. uh, we will be in day two in a month. So it's October 17th, October 31st. I've learned with Kickstarters, you go a month, it just gives people a time to cool on the game mm. and you get a, you get a, all your pledges early and late. So I'm tightening it up and just go, go hard for two weeks. Late pledges will be there for anybody who misses it. There will be uh, metal obsession coins. I will, click, I will click them for you. I just oh, dropped them oh. on the table. Okay. Such a beautiful sound. What am metal I supposed coins, to do with my Nathan Arkin coins now? <laughs> And, well, they don't make them anymore. I got to put them back in the Nancy Narking box. Yeah, you're gonna have to. But I, one thing I tell you, I like a heavy coin. This coin is a heavy coin, man, and it's the same size as the paper cuts, so they're not tiny. Nanny Narking's little silver ones sort of, I have those, mm-hmm. sort yeah. of bother me because it's like you're picking up a tiddlywink and you're you're trying. So these <laughs> things, they actually 
the one set of the coins is just short of a pound. Well, actually a little more short of a pound, but they're, they're huge. I kept making them increase the weight and then they actually overshot it just recently. So it's actually like 13 ounces for the package. Just Gee, for oh just for the coins. Those will be fun. And they have obsession specific elements on them, but they're not there. It's Queen Victoria on the front, very much like Nanny Narking. So you will you'll be able to uh, use them for another game if you have something like a Victorian game, a Martin Wallace game back then or something like that. So that that'll be it'll be just there'll be no commercial products that are currently available. I want to strongly mention this because a lot of people who have been kicking the tires on the concept, playing a little bit on BGA, figure they'll swoop in and get everything at once. I have excellent retail partners. I support gaming stores avidly. I love gaming stores. I have great partners in, in England, Australia, Simon in Asia doing for English language. I also have AS7 publishers who have translated the game. That all hits next month. So it's German, French, Spanish, Polish, Italian, Chinese, and Korean. Koreans wow. love obsession. It's a total surprise. There's multilingual people that might say, well, I want to get the character's expansion. I really don't need that translation. I'm just going to order it on the Kickstarter. Because mm-hmm. the way I do Kickstarters, I don't do any second edition. Whatever, I make one edition of things. Last thing I want to do is like make obsession without the boxes retail and with the boxes for Kickstarter, everybody just gets mad. So I want to give financial incentives. And I will just give you a a tip here. This is as much a thank you as it is a, a business proposition because you will be able to get the coins and the expansion for well less combined, well less than 50 bucks, maybe even close to 40 bucks. I'm crunching the numbers. Now, when those get out into the public domain, it'll be up around 60 for those two products together for whatever whatever they're at. So people should know if they're kicking the tires, they're going to want to go to retail outlets and get games. There's plenty out there. There's no shortage. There's container ships floating around now that are resupplying me, Europe, and those translations. So there's no shortage, but I can't I can't take away revenue from my people who I asked to buy games. So there's great partners out there. It'll be on that Kickstarter page where you can go. So it'll direct people where they can go. But this is about the characters expansion and about the coins. Dan, this is just too much. That's a lot. And you you, you really love your game. This is this is this is wonderful. And I'm I'm extremely excited about this. Oh yes, very well, much. There, so. There's actually I should just mention a couple more things in the characters expansion. Oh Dan, come on. This is First, too much. There is on that sideboard a class of servant called the second chance domestics, who are servants without references that you can hire at any time without using your hiring tile because they have no references and they function, footmen, valets, and ladies' maid. But every time you use them, you take a reputation hit because they don't, they're not wearing their clothes right. They don't know what they're doing. They're dropping the hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Bunch but of scrubs. Sometimes when you want to pull off a nine-person <laughs> event late in the game, you know, on the backside ball, or you want to do, you need help. You can go get help at the drop of a pin and you can handle the little hit on your reputation when you need it. So they're out there. Then there's a whole set of family cards called the distinguished family members. There's a draft where you're going to be able to customize one member of your family that nobody else can draft that same parallel member in another family to give you an asymmetrical start that's pretty significant. So we call that a distinguished family member. For example, the dowager can tongue lash a servant to available service from expended when you use her in that distinguished family member. You know, the, the lady of the house can exempt you from needing one servant for one guest when she's attending an activity. So they're very specific, little special abilities 
that'll give you increased asymmetry when you start. But the final thing you're going to love is it all fits in the main box. Oh! <laughs> it all fits in the main box. Oh. That's the final thing. Because if <laughs> I love I ha- your I- video of that. That, that <laughs> video, Ryan was kind enough to get me a copy of everything. And Ryan, I'm still so thankful of that. And watching your video of how everything fit in there, I watched that three or four times just to make sure I had everything in the right place. That is amazing. And so the only, the sideboard is exactly the size of a player board. So if you're using like the Wessex box or the useful box, Mm -hmm. it fits in there without any lid lift, or you could stack it just on your player boards. And then I'm adding one more decorative box that's really thin that fits in the one spot on top. And you can put your exiles and your meeples in that. And then the cards will still fit in all the inserts or in the box that you have, because I have another 40 gentry that are coming along for the ride. New people that you've seen, Patrick, on on the reveal, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're coming out just about every other day. I'm loving it. So it's a lot of content and not a lot of space, and it'll be available I think for less than 20 buck, 27 bucks or something on the Kickstarter when we get to it. So it's a thank you to my people for supporting the game and put me on the map. Dan, I got to tell you, you know, on, on Level Up, we're always talking about, you know, ways that we can level up in our personal lives. And, you know, we like to think of ourselves as like, oh, we might have hit level 10 or something. We've just hit 100 episodes, whatever it might be. Dan, and our book, you're like a level 99, but we're going to give you yes. a chance to level up yet again. We're going to hit you with eight questions, okay? There was no okay. warning for this. This is just off the cuff. We're going to take off our dainty white gloves, crack our knuckles, and we're going to hit you with eight. Scott. We have the watch ready. Okay, there's no well, there are right answers. I always say there's no right or wrong. There are no there are right answers. <laughs> I want you to give us the, the first thing good. that comes to mind or the quickest answer. You ready? Yep. Ready? Go. Which of these is not a British city? Stoke on Trent, Kingston upon Hull, Barrow in Furness, or Gallows over Shefton? Holy crap. <laughs> Um, I'll go with Gallows over Shefton. He's right. Aside from obsession, what is your favorite board game? Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Any plans on making the Climber series of books into a game? (laughs) Um, Distant future. If so, I've got to finish the other five books in that series somehow. (laughs) If I'm playing an arcade game and against Ryu, I select to play as E-Honda. What game am I playing? I don't know anime. <laughs> can you name the four main character? Can you name the four main characters in Seinfeld? It would be George, Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer. Yep. Given an hour to do so, could you eat an entire apple pie? Heck yeah! <laughs> can you make our beloved, very own King Scott into a card in the characters expansion? No. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I'm watching a movie in which the Sanderson sisters come back to take the life force from children in order to preserve their youth. What movie am I watching? Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. (laughs) I don't know. You know what? I'm impressed. He got the English city. Yes, Uh, yes, yes. I was trying to come up with something thematic, and I was like, well, what the heck can be a blank over blank? Like, (laughs) why do they got all these hyphenated names? Gallows over Shefton is not a city. I think that's a level up. Well done. I think so, too. Yes. Thank you much. And uh, Scott, just so you know, I have, for a number of people, made uh, promo cards of themselves or their families Using my local prototype developers, a company called Game Crafter, you may know them. Yeah. Uh, they're nice to get quick stuff made, and they, they don't match up really well, but I have done them. So if you're desperate, Scott, email me. I'll go ahead and <gasps> put your family on some cards. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, my. I actually, quite honestly, I just made a tile for a Portuguese gentleman to propose to his wife while playing oh, the beautiful. game. How and novel. he sent me the video, and it was uh, it was really pretty cool. So any, I, lo- I love doing those sorts of things, if possible. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this wonderful yes. game. You know, I never yes. – we, we always thank people for their time, and, and yet sometimes, you know, it hits a little bit closer to home because we love this game so much. And, and to be able to spend some time with us, it, it really does mean a lot to us. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today. 
My pleasure. Happy to do it. See you guys. Hey, adventures, if you didn't catch last week's episode, we talked Disney Lorcana, Star Wars Shatterpoint, and the 8-bit breakdown is the new version of Princes of Florence. Thank you so much for listening. King, Ryan, I'll see you guys in like a week at the PGX RetroCon. Looking forward to it. Amen. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.